Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today, as always. It's a gorgeous day here in Seattle. Great day to take your dog for a walk. I know you've been thinking that all day, Eric. That, <laughs> I have been thinking that, yeah. yeah. It's June, nice out. great time to take your dog yeah. for a walk. Great month to yes. take your dog for a walk. It's also a great month to go to the Vashon Sheepdog Trials, which are June 9th through 12th on Vashon Island, coming up here in about a week and a half. That sounds like a fun little getaway. It's awesome. Day trip. Yeah, it's a great... Unless you're already on Vashon. <laughs> Still a day trip. <laughs> um, great way to witness the one of the quintessential examples of the human-animal relationship, watching people work in partnership with their dogs to herd sheep. And um, I just love that aspect of it. And there's so much more going on at that event. Uh, local vendors, food, a fiber arts village where they really uh, showcase all the wonderful things you can do with wool, a beer garden. Um, I think there's even music on Saturday night. Uh, it's Thursday through Sunday. I'll be there the whole time. Do stop by our booth and say hi if you are there. Super excited about today's show. I have with me on the line author, best-selling author and activist Rita Mae Brown, who has a new book out called Tall Tale. And she is on the phone with us from Virginia. Rita Mae, welcome to The Dog Show. Well, thank you. The island sounds fabulous. Oh, it's an amazing event, yeah. Herding trial on Vashon Island on a farm just west of Seattle on Puget Sound. Uh, I know. So, uh, you know, I have really enjoyed learning about you as I've been preparing for this conversation. And I have a lot of friends who are also excited and listening right now um, and excited that I'm talking to you as well and who are familiar with you from your work in the 70s. Um, really interesting life. And you uh, live on a farm and are, you say, it seems that you in some ways prefer animals to humans for company <laughs> um, <laughs> and love, love working and being out in outside and physical. And I can, I can really appreciate that. And I am also especially curious personally, because my wife and I just built, just sort of turned our home into an urban farm. And we now have two goats and eight chickens. As, uh, I know as well. well as well as our pack of dogs. So we're, we're new, uh, especially me, are new to farming. And I have to say, I am in love with the chickens and the goats. <laughs> I bet they're in love with you, too. Yeah. Oh, it's just, uh, you know, my expertise is in dog training and behavior. And I'm always telling people, you know, dogs don't get enough credit. And, you know, dogs are aware of everything that's going on and, and have personality and emotion and all that kind of stuff. And I'm really... Um, amazed at the goats. I mean, they are present and conscious. I mean, it's just, you know, to get to know a new animal and to see how they, you know, the uh, we have a mom and baby and, uh, you know, the mom will like look up, look at like if she wants water, she's standing by the water dish like ah, at us, you know, and it's like, oh, OK, you need water. And she's like, yeah, give me some water. It's like uh, 
it's just really amazing to get to know another animal. And you have lots of animals on your farm, don't you? I do. I have about 40 horses and uh, uh, 70 foxhounds and then a lot of rescue cats and dogs. But, mm-hmm. you know, the thing you brought, brought up about the chickens and the, the goats, we can learn from every sentient creature on the earth mm-hmm. because they have adapted. They're here. The, the losers are extinct. Yeah. And what amazes me is that people don't get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is um, something to be, uh, to teach people to be pre- more present to animals, even if it's the dog that they live with. It just is um, sort of staggering to me sometimes to witness how people don't understand the animal that they live with, you know. Something like right. a dog, not not even a, a live you know livestock that might be a little harder for the average city person anyway to connect with. But um, <clears throat> it really is the animals are just such a such a gift. We do have a lot to learn, and they have a lot to teach us. And we're going to talk a bit more about that in a little bit. But you know, you you include you've written like I think one of the things I wrote uh, that I read online, which I think was a few years old, so. Maybe that number's even changed, but between all of the things that you've written, that's like over 50 publications. You're right, it is. Right now it's at 57. Wow. <laughs> that, and that doesn't count the screenplays and the teleplays. That's just novels. And you know what? I have the most fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope by the time I'm dead, there will be 200. <laughs> Me too. Thanks. So how many, what percentage of those are the the types of books where you include animals as characters? Roughly. Well, as as forefront characters, I'd say about half of these books because there's the Sneaky Pie books, the mystery books where the cat, the two cats and the dogs often figure things out. And then there's the fox hunting books, which is really lots of fun because the hounds, the horses, and the foxes uh, and the birds are, are way ahead of the people. But even in the what I would call standalone books, there's usually one or two animals that are there as a pet. They're often observant, and uh, they don't necessarily talk to you, but they know everything that's going on. Yeah. Do you remember what your inspiration was the first time you included animals in your writing? Well, I, I guess... I would have to say it came long before that, because when I was little, my one grandfather had foxhounds, and if I was good, he would let me sleep with them. Oh. <laughs> and so I, uh, I always wanted to be with animals, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I always, and once I started writing, here I was at this point. I was in uh, college in New York City at NYU, and I realized none of the people around me knew how to communicate with animals, mm-hmm. and they all thought they were smarter than the animals. Mm-hmm. And I started to think, you know, if I ever can actually write, uh, I think I better address this. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of a conversation, actually, that I remember having with uh, the MC of the, the Vashon Sheepdog Trials. Actually, it was last year at the event last year. And um, we were talking about, uh, you know, sometimes we answer questions from the crowd and um one of the things that people will say or one of the things that the handlers are very inspired to address is this idea that sheep are stupid. And we were talking about that it's no, that's not an accurate 
it's not accurate to say that they are doing they're being sheep they are doing what they are you know the based off of the information from their instincts and and genes and all that kind of stuff there that's what sort of dictates their behavior it's like oh why aren't they going into the pen they're so stupid it's like no that's not it at all it's that they are behaving like sheep and they're doing what sheep are supposed to do so um well, well Ms. Forbes, don't you find that because we're medium-sized predators that the average person, if there is such a creature, does not understand prey animals? Sheep mm-hmm. are prey animals. Yep. Cows are prey animals. Horses are prey animals. Mm-hmm. And they always think they're stupid. Yeah. So arrogant. Yeah, it is arrogant. Mm-hmm. And we're paying for it. Yeah. Well, um, so... So you've had a connection with animals for as long as you can remember. There's a bunch of photos from your, um, I think, of of family, uh, you know, black and white photos, and and it seemed like everybody was holding a cat. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Well, but we, um, my one grandfather was a horse trainer. My great uncle was a horse trainer. Uh Uh, My natural mother uh, rode the horses and, and got them ready for people. Mm-hmm. Um, my second cousin, I mean, my first cousin once removed is the person who raised me. That's, that's who I think of his mother mm-hmm. who had a fabulous eye for a horse, but also loved cats, just adored them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I grew up with all kinds of animals and people who really cherished them. And they also actually liked one another, which was kind of fun. You'd sit on the porch, because remember, there was no air conditioning then, because yeah. I'm pretty old. And you'd sit on the, on the front stoop, and you're sitting there in your swing, and everybody's got a dog in their lap or at their feet or a cat, and telling their stories. What a wonderful way to live. Yeah. Um, now, is it still true that you don't have a computer? I do not. <laughs> so... Um, and you had given reasons, I think I read this in an interview um, that you did uh, a while back. And um, I just came off of a trip uh, visiting a friend who has about 150 acres out in northeastern Washington state, like way out, uh, way out there, uh, sort of off the grid. And I was thinking about, you know, your your love for being outside and, and working and uh, the connection that you get through that and and how in some ways, in a lot of ways, more and more and more actually now, how when we connect with technology, it seems that we disconnect with other parts of ourselves. And um, one of the benefits, the therapeutic benefits that my dogs and I get when we go to my friend's property is that we get to disconnect and be outside, you know, from morning until night all together enjoying nature. The dogs are, you know, off leash and we're all just being. And it's it feels like heaven to me. And then I come back to the city and I get into my life, which which I love. I, you know, I have a great, uh, you know, I get to do the show and work with dogs and all that stuff. So it's really wonderful. But I feel like I lose something um, when I'm back in the city. And, and having this new, very, very new little urban farm, I'm noticing it's bringing... Part of what I get when I go out of town into my my home, which is so amazing. I'm I'm outside more and working more and having to do stuff. Well, you're breathing you're breathing pretty good oxygen. You know that's good too. Yeah. You, know, you get out there and if, I don't know what the 
what the CO2 level is in, in your city. But if, if you get outside and you're just even a little bit away from the traffic, mm. you know, you, you, can, you can smell the difference in the air, mm-hmm. and it just kind of picks you right up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then you put a couple of plants in the dirt and you watch them come up. And you think, this is, this is pretty fabulous. And then the deer eat them. Well, that's not so fabulous. But yeah. I, I don't know how anybody can live not in nature, not being part of it, even if it's just a bunch of potted plants in the window. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. I've, I, I don't understand. There's a lot of people out there who don't have pets or don't live with animals, and it's, like, hard for me to comprehend that. I mean, I suppose some people have children, and that's where some of that energy goes to, but it is, it's, like, hard for me to compute how somebody would, could live without animals or, you know. I was reading a, a magazine the other day about uh, genetic, uh, the, the genome of dogs mm-hmm. and genetic research with dogs, which is helping us with some conditions that people have because we both are getting a lot of cancers and they tend to be very much the same. Yeah. And in this article said there's 70 million dogs in America. Yeah. A forty forty million households have 70 million dogs, and I thought. Well, that's really pretty fabulous. Those are those are uh, a lot of happy people out there. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, the one thing, and I and I and I won't belabor this because I'm not an expert. But one of the things that was in this article that was fascinating is that Dobermans get OCD, mm. and they're finding a genetic predisposition to it that mirrors the human. Wow, is that cool? Yeah, it's really incredible how si- similar we are. Given that genetically, like for to your point with, um, you know, cancer on the topic of cancer, um, I actually did an interview fairly recently. It was within the past year with an author who wrote a book titled Heal, and it was all about um, dogs and humans and cancer. And um, it was, you know, interesting that although we are not there are animals that are genetically closer to us, but. Dogs are actually experience or cancer behaves almost the most similarly in dogs that it does to us versus another animal that might be genetically closer to us, um, but where they're not going to sort of behave in that way. You know, and and that was in this article, too. It was in a doctor's office. It was a medical journal. I was fascinated with it. But you will find this amusing, and, and I'm sure your listeners will understand. Uh, years ago, I... I the main character in the Sneaky Pie Mysteries is a, a young woman uh, named Mary Minor Harris-Dean. Her nickname's Harry. Mm-hmm. And I, I was doing some of this research, and I realized, well, I could give the, the corgi epileptic seizures because it, it, the breed can be prone to it. Mm-hmm. Or I could have one of the cats have cancer. And I thought, if I do this, people will never forgive me. So she got breast cancer instead. <laughs> <laughs> give it to the I mean, give it to the human, it, right? But I realized I could nobody would ever get over the animals having it. I know, I know. It's all right if the person gets it, but don't don't put a hurt <laughs> animal in front of me. So you have a book that is a, a new book uh, called Tall Tale, and I love the way that you and this is part of the Sneaky Pie mystery series. And Sneaky Pie is a cat character, and I love the way that you um, you know there's. Authors who I've um, met through the show who uh, have sort of incorporated animals into their writing, sort of sort of like from the perspective of the animal. And there's 
there's a lot of different ways that that can be done. Um, a lot of different narratives and, and different styles to that. And, and I think yours was really unique to me um, because the animals are actually, it's there like, then it would be like the cat would say something and it would be in quote, you know, and then the other cat would say something like they're actually having conversation along with the story. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just as much as the human would be, it was really interesting. And I was struck by how quickly we got to know the animals, different personalities through how you write them. Well, well, thank you. I, I think animals have very vast form of communication, mm-hmm. uh, and have many tools we do not. We're so reliant on language. We've forgotten about reading our bodies. Yeah. Uh, but they can move their ears. They can make their pupils get bigger or smaller. They can raise the ruff on the back of their necks. They can make their tails stand straight up or drop down or go back and forth. And they have they have a lot of tools that we just don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it fascinating. And any dog anywhere in the world will understand another dog. Yeah. Where we don't. Yeah, it's something that and I think that brings us back to that whole technology subject and that we've I think that we we do have that natural ability and that we do. I think it's less conscious now, but where we do read each other um, non-verbally, whether I think the consciousness issue is kind of at play. But um, that's one of the things that I enjoy so much and that really you know, when you say that we have so much to learn from animals, in my experience working with people and their dogs, where the dogs are, you know, somebody needs help with something, and it's like, okay, well, if you want to make this better, uh, if you want to bring some ease into your life with your dog, you know, here's here's what you need to know and how to communicate, and that requires a lot of self-awareness. And it's in that way that you just said of the nonverbal stuff, because dogs are not verbal, they can vocalize, but you don't see dogs, you know, at the dog park, you know, sitting and just talking to each other about the breakfast they had or the, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I think we've gotten hyperverbal and it's it's sort of taken us out of our bodies and our uh, intuition and our ability to sort of read and also just the awareness of what we give off. It's the most powerful oh, oh, oh. communication. Oh. We're becoming so technologically advanced, we're getting stupid. Yeah. It's not interesting. It's like a way to fight to sort of balance. How do we balance the the progress of technology and and use it in a way that's beneficial without also disconnecting from nature and and ourselves as animals. Well, you know, you know, I think everybody has to find that. The young, they don't want to find it right now. They're too busy telling one another what they had for lunch or the sweater they bought. You know, it's it's not terribly impressive stuff, but it's it's very involving mm-hmm. when you're at those years. You know, when the peer group pressure is so heavy. Yeah. Um, but I think anybody can turn all the devices off and just take a walk. Hopefully, with your dog. Yeah. Just take a walk. Mm-hmm. You know, F- feel the air, smell. Smell whatever there is to smell out there. Uh, notice that, in particularly where you all are in Seattle, there's probably 50 different shades of green. Yeah, 
<laughs> you know, just look at the green. I know. I mean, how can you possibly not get excited about that? And there's people that don't, but um, you can't embrace it if you're looking down. Yeah. You know, and and I think sooner or later most people figure it out. They figure out uh, I have to be in this moment right now. It's the only moment I have. It doesn't matter what's happening at this exact moment in St. Petersburg, Russia. It doesn't matter what the news bulletin is. I'm not there. I'm here. So what's happening here? Mm-hmm. What can I feel, touch, um, think about? Is there anything I can change? Is there anything I need to change? Or can I just embrace it all? And uh, and I, I don't know about you, but, well, I, I do in the sense that you're, you know, you can you work with people and their animals. Once you just lay down the burden of having to be so goddamn smart and uh, trying to control everything. I mean, come on, half the time you can't even control your bladder. You know, that's what you try to do when you're young and then you get really old and everything goes to hell again. Um, just just enjoy what you have. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is your animal will enjoy it with you. Yeah. I noticed that the the more the more I do those things, you know, I talked about, you know, I'm try- I'm really mindful at this point in my life, especially to not have to go away for two weeks to find that, that relief almost, um, uh, from that sort of go, 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 busy, busy, busy. And, um, I notice a, a difference in my experience or le- sort of level of, of anxiety. And I think you, you just spoke to that, like, it's like, oh, you know, it's like this this pressure, you know, pace and all of those things all combined. And when you just stop and and really um, insist that you give yourself time to, for example, we love to say on the show, it's always a great day to take your dog for a walk, basically, no matter what. Um, <laughs> but, to you know, hey, like, don't bring your phone. Like, I know I have to be I have to be like, OK, you know, I have to check myself with with technology because I can get. Uh, almost compulsive with it if I'm not aware or mindful. So it's a. Uh, it I can see what people with children get that way. Yeah. You know because they're they're worried or the, the kids want to communicate all the time, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. but for those of us whose kids are bigger or we don't have them, we don't have to do that. And you know the truth is everything you worried about you're worried about is going to roll along with you or without you. So you might as well do what you want. Right. You know? Yeah, and that's another thing that is really great about animals. They're not worried about what your schedule is. They're not worried about tomorrow. Um, they're just right there at this moment. And a squirrel just ran across the park. By God, they're going to go get the squirrel. Yeah. That's the most exciting thing in the world. And you know what? It really is. Yeah, it's one. Um, of the, go ahead. One Sorry. of the things that I um, appreciate so much about dogs is is how simple and easily accessible joy is joy and just being out in nature and free to run around and go splash in the puddle or chew on the stick or run around some more. And it's like, this is, I, you know, I'm, I'm in heaven. I don't need anything else. It's just like, Oh man, that's as refreshing. And, and you don't have to spend all that money on clothes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's no wardrobe budget. There's a lot of budgets that don't exist anymore. It's kind of great. But one of the things in Tall Tale that I did have some fun with is there's a dog, there's a corgi in the 18th century who has survived the Revolutionary War 
with the British soldier who decides to stay here uh, after the war is over. Um, And this this dog is not exactly a precursor, but this dog is an echo of the dog in the 21st century. Mm. And you realize that they're rooted. What they know is as true in the 18th century as it is in the 21st. It's the people that get lost. Yeah. And that that was a lot of fun to do for me. Yeah. Do you find, uh, it seems like as a, as a writer, um, including animals in your books, I imagine helps you express yourself in a way that maybe not including them, you know, like through animals you're able to sort of express yourself. Do you have, uh, an idea of how that is? Well, I know that when I'm I'm trying to get in that animal's mind, it, it's I have to I have to work at it sometimes, mm-hmm. and I try not to make them cute, you know. Yeah. Um, I try to make them as real as I can to their environment, but they're they're creating it in words so that we can understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and so that takes something. And then you know, I, if I get in a jam, I just go back to Aesop. Here it is. It's over what. About 2,500 years, Aesop sat down and wrote Aesop's Fables, where he is in the mind of each of these creatures. Mm-hmm. And it's a very accurate description, not just of people, because uh, these creatures also have human characteristics, mm-hmm. uh, or what we would think are human characteristics, but he really accurately describes the animal. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay. If Aesop could do it way back when, and he was a slave, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, especially with your connection, your your just natural connection and experience. I mean, the combination of the two. I imagine you are, in fact, very tuned in and able to, I think, accurately communicate at least the emotion and personality aspect of it, you know? I hope so. <laughs> but you know, and this is one of the problems with monotheism which you may not want to hear, but at any rate, if you look at the Olympians, some of them have tremendous connections with animals. Athena and her owl can communicate with no problem at all. Artemis, who the uh, uh, Romans called Diana, has a pack of hounds, but she can communicate with all of nature, Mm. and she understands them, and they understand her, and she's one of them, in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, she, she is a goddess, but she is a goddess to them as well. And uh, for Zeus, it was the eagle, uh, which is one of the reasons throughout history, whenever a state decides to become imperialistic, they usually pick the eagle or the mm-hmm. lion for their uh, totem, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you look at this stuff and you realize, we've always known. Yeah. A- and then we lost it. Well, we it lost was- it. We, we put it. Well, a lot of people put it aside. In, in Genesis, you know, uh, you shall have dominion over all of the earth. Yeah. That's exhausting. You got to control everything and think you're smarter than they are. Yeah. Of course, including women. Right, right, right. It doesn't really work, does it? No, it doesn't. It's not good for anybody. Um, now, I have some thoughts. Um, I hope to have you for a few more minutes. We're going to take a break. I have some thoughts sort of moving in that direction around my experience working with dogs and women in particular. And conversations about personal power 
and also about how our society values masculine and feminine energy and sort of def getting into definitions of different types of power and this all being brought up through my experience working with women and their dogs, oftentimes in a way that has them at least somewhat assert an agenda. And sometimes that's unfamiliar or uncomfortable. And I imagine with your background in activism uh, and feminism that you will have some thoughts about this. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back for as long as we can have Rita Mae Brown. Check, check out her new book, Tall Tale. It is on sale now wherever you can buy books. And you're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Whispering Dragon Center in Seattle, we cover the world of animals. This week, June 5th, it's an Ananda Sunday on Animal World. Zach from the Ananda Farms and Bima from East West Bookshop join me in the studio. Hear all about the upcoming Ananda Community's annual open house, all that's available through East West Bookshop, more about the farm and CSA, and a discussion about sustainable living. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. 50. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> the Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Well, if 
that isn't a dog theme song. I don't know what if is. If a dog could write a song, yeah. it would be that song. Maybe rabbits, too. Squirrels, squirrels, squirrels. <laughs> Funny. All right. Well, we are back talking with author and activist Rita Mae Brown from Virginia. Rita Mae, welcome back to The Dog Show. Thank you. So I... You know, you've written, what, 57, not including your screenplays, 57 publications? Yes, ma'am, I have. That's wonderful. That's inspiring to me. Um, the newest one is Tall Tale. It is on sale now. It is part of the Sneaky Pie mystery series. Of course, Sneaky Pie is a cat. And uh, there's a lot of including um, animals as part of the cast of characters just as much as humans and you really are able to speak from their perspective in a unique way. And it's really um, entertaining and I think thought provoking for people as well. And I think it's something that is important for us um, to generalize, at least in this country, to appreciate that animals do have their own experience and perspective and emotions and agenda and personalities and preferences and all that kind of stuff, just like we do. It's just that they don't talk. And they are different. There are ways that they are different. And there are also lots of ways where we are very similar. I think especially dogs, given that we've been living together for the most popular number is 40,000 years. We're going to have some pretty natural communication, I would think, given that we've been uh, sort of moving through this earth together for so long. One of the things I was curious about, because I don't know cats very well. I am very amused by cats, and I think they're adorable, and I'm always happy to see them when they're at my client's house, and I say hi and, and all that. But <clears throat> I also understand they are very different animals. They have a different social structure in the wild. They have a different evolutionary past, et cetera, et cetera. You are... Um, you know, have lived with cats all your life, and it sounds like dogs as well. And I'm just curious to know, what is your perspective? Like, how would you generalize how are cats and dogs different? Now, this is a generalization, I'm aware, but they can be accurate. Well, I think that the obvious thing, and, and most of your listeners would say it too, is that cats re, uh, cats love you. They come to you. They'll rub up against you and all this and that. But they're going to go do what they want to do, whereas a dog is desperate to please you. Mm -hmm. You know, the dog just wants to be with you all the time, do what you do, mm -hmm. uh, if it's a good relationship, and pays enormous attention to you. Mm -hmm. The cat pays some attention to you, but not quite as much. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, both cats and dogs, if somebody comes into your house and your animals don't like that person, pay attention. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, they, 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 uh, cats have a very good sense of smell, uh, not quite as good as dogs, but very good, and uh, excellent hearing, and of course, their eyes are far better than ours, mm. and they can smell things on other people's skin. Yeah. You know, they know who's attracted to whom, uh, as does your dog, mm -hmm. and, uh, and if a cat doesn't like somebody, uh, a lot of times they won't, they won't walk away from them. They'll just turn their back and sit down. Cold shoulder. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. And uh, again, pay attention to your animals. Yeah. I think there's, I've heard over the years a lot of examples of <clears throat> either directly from clients or in the media of stories of, of 
where people's dogs are actually trying to tell them something or or at least having their own reaction to something and and it's like oh i i noticed it but i didn't pay attention to it and then they ended up regretting it so it is interesting well, you know there, there, I'm go sorry ahead. go ahead well it's just I was just going to say horses can tell you things too oh yeah i've heard um horses in like therapeutic riding facilities uh can actually actually know what the person on them needs like they can sense what an individual might need differently from from you know one to the next that they're very sensitive to they are to that kind of thing they yeah. are i mean I, I i fox hunt we don't kill foxes we just run around mm-hmm. and uh you you get a good old horse that knows what it's doing and you'll put somebody up there that they're not bad but they're just not a really good rider yeah oftentimes if they get out of balance the horse will move under them to keep them in the center wow you see these wonderful things that these animals are doing trying to help the human who of course doesn't have a clue i know and then we're calling them stupid yep (laughs) well one of the things that i was really curious to hear your thoughts about because of your your fascinating history um with uh, the National Organization for Women, and and then what? Getting kicked out of a college, and that's why you had to move up to New York, all for being um, out as a gay woman. And um, it's sort of talking about this idea of um, in our culture. So I'll just talk about this country, but I know it applies in others. This idea that. Uh, women are feminine and men are masculine, and that's those two. Those two, it's sort of a collapse or a, um, inaccurate attachment because the quality, masculinity, femininity, are sort of two different qualities of energy that we all have, each individual, regardless of male or female. And the pressure that our culture puts on men to be masculine, women to be feminine, and then. I so from my book that's in editing right now, I did a quite a bit of research around this and other topics because I've been coaching people, mostly women over the years, how to communicate with their dogs and in a lot of ways, how to simply just assert their agenda just as much as a parent would over a child. Like, okay, I'm the one that sets limits. Uh, You're you're a dependent. So there's sometimes where I need to call the shots and you need to be okay with that. Right. So. This is not something to take for granted over, you know, just in noticing a lot of uncertainty or hesitation from some of my female clients, certainly not all of them, uh, but from some of them. And then, of course, as a woman myself growing up in this country and as a gay woman and and feeling in within myself quite a balance of masculine and feminine energy and then feeling the pressure to be feminine, blah, 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 blah. Right. So I started I first wanted to define masculine and feminine qualities. And then that was like, oh, man, like this is this needs to be changed because essentially femininity equals weak and masculinity Mm -hmm. equals strong. And so when it was like, okay, well, if I'm going to try to coach a woman to be authentically powerful in her relationship with her dog, that's not going to be coaching her to fit into the alpha male model which is inaccurate anyway, but that's a whole nother show. I actually talked with Temple Grandin about that. It was really interesting. Um, so, okay, well, then what is feminine power? That's like an oxymoron in our culture. And so I, that was where I, um, one of my 
helpful resources was from Wellesley College, uh, Dr. Jean Baker Miller, who has a publication from the 80s titled Women and Power. And uh, she talks all about this definition of power and all that. But I think we have this collapse in our culture and it uh, manifests in working with dogs as one example where we are afraid. Women tend to be afraid or hesitant to express power. And, you know, then it's kind of like, well, what, what even is that if it's authentic? And there's so many reasons for that. And I know that you have spoken about this in some of your interviews for why. Um, and the one thing that's so lovely about our relationship with our dogs is that they can provide us an opportunity to practice that in ways that we can then bring to other parts of our lives and other relationships. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about and your experience with you know, women in power, feminine power, and, and, and uh, I know you've spoken about it before, but, you know, what do you think about, about that idea? Well, way back when, you know, when Betty Friedan first tried to organize people, she and I never got along. Of course, I was considerably younger, but she wanted a, a good reviews in the press. She wanted uh, uh, TV shows to have her on and and present her in a good light. And I used to say, which she hated, was, well, isn't that a little bit like Lennon wanting a great review in the St. Petersburg Times? <laughs> what you're doing is challenging an entire power structure. Right. Why do you want to be liked? You know, why do you want to be a proper lady? Mm-hmm. You don't do that. You kick ass. Yeah. The way you make the people in power pay attention is you cause pain. Yeah. You're not going to seduce them into it. You hurt somebody and they wake up. Yeah. You know, they either listen and uh, say, well, you know, maybe I better give this person what they want. Or they try to crush you. Yeah. But if they just see you as non-threatening or, you know, just another woman with a great rack and they want to go to bed with you, you know, maybe you'll get a nice watch or some earrings. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not good enough for me. Right. <laughs> But the, but but the women were furious with me, yeah. um, and of course I was the only one saying these things at that time, and um, they threw me out and all this and that. But over the years, I have come to realize more and more how, and this is I mean I'm not saying I was right about everything, but I was right about this. You do not woo your enemies by being what they define you as. You know they define you as weak. Mm-hmm. Or whatever you don't, so you don't become that. You become the exact opposite. You have got to hurt them. You got to cause them pain. You got to co- you got to cost them money. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden things get different. And I, and one of the things that's great about America is if Gloria Steinem and I had raised the issues we raised in Russia, we'd still be in jail. If we raised them in the Middle East, we'd be dead. Yeah. If we'd raised them in France, we'd be excommunicated. We're still here. Mm-hmm. America really is an amazing nation. Men didn't want to hear this, and a lot of women didn't either, because their well-being depended on men. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you know you're gonna you're gonna take care of Massa, mm-hmm. as we say down south. Yeah, and, you know, and they did, and and we threatened to upturn the whole apple cart. Those are the kind of women who had dyed poodles. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Lap yeah. dogs. 
Right. Because that was appropriately feminine. You never saw him with a great date or anything like that. Right. Uh, I mean, not every woman was that way, but. Sure. Well, it's this but, interesting, this whole thing with femininity and the pressure is like, and it's, you really have to appreciate it's, it's, a, it's a survival mechanism. I mean, it's not just, you know, oh, you know, just change your mind. You know, this is uh, centuries, millennia uh, of needing to be liked to survive needing to be liked by men to survive because there was a time not too long ago where women had no power legally, had no rights, had no way to own land, vote. You know, I mean, it was just dependent, basically. And so it was a survival technique to be likable. And yeah, legally accepted. we were chattel. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a... It's a um, Deep rooted. And there's other other aspects to that as well. I think that also we if we think of of power almost has a negative connotation, which is so sad. Uh, Power equals destruction in a lot of us have experienced that in the world and in a lot of women, especially personally. Power is power over. And one of the things that I think uh, for us to redefine is. um especially if we're talking about feminine power, that it's really an expression of being po- having one being powerful as an individual and while also empowering others rather than having it be the sort of top-down. One of the things that I came across was this difference in leadership models, sort of contrasting the whole, uh, you know, ladder hierarchy um, model that's more would be considered a more masculine linear model. Um, I think it was the this was from a, a book from uh, it was either the 70s or 80s, um, and it was uh, included an interview with the founder, I believe, of the Girl Scouts, and she was talking about this different leadership model that was if you visualized a spider web, where the the leader, the head, is in the middle, actually not on the top, and everyone goes out in you know, rings and, and then there's lines connecting everybody. So this idea of empowering others as an expression of power, but, but in a way that doesn't um, give away our own power. So not like hyper nurturing. So it's like you can be powerful and empower others at the same time. And I think relating it to dogs, there's this collapse in the dog training industry of like, Oh, do you know, don't ever tell your dog. No. Uh you know, because, oh, you know, no, 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 we don't want to be. It's like if you ever if you ever tell your dog no, it means that you are harsh and, and like a harsh, abusive punisher. And it's like, well, hold on. I mean, there's a lot of space in between those two things. So it's like really getting with personal power and, and, and uh, that it's not, you know, for women, especially who are conditioned to not think that we shouldn't want it or can't have it. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot there. A lot there. Yeah, no is critical. You don't want them to run out in the middle of a busy highway. Yeah. You know, you you better realize what the boundaries are and what they expect, expect of you. Yeah. Um, particularly when they're young. Yep. You know the world better than they do. They they need you to guide them. It's the same with children. And you need to be very clear and you need to be consistent. Yeah. And um, the thing about the male, the male leadership model, the latter model, it's tremendously efficient. Yeah. You can get an enormous amount done in a much faster amount of time than if you do the the more the more web-like form of leadership. 
where you you know you're constantly monitoring everybody's emotions and you're making sure everybody's on board and and they're satisfied. Where in the latter uh, model, it doesn't matter if you're satisfied or not. You do your job, you get a paycheck, or if you're in the army, you do your job, and eventually you rise in rank. It's it's very clear, and there's a, there's a there are times when that is the only model that works. Mm-hmm. But for most of us, we don't really need that model, and you certainly don't need it with your dog. Right. You know this idea that uh, you know uh, don't don't let the dog run away with a bone. You have to make the dog give you the bone. Right. All this kind of stuff that's really pretty silly. I know. I know. Yeah, uh, but again, it's that misapplication of power, and also in a way, it trivializes power. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you have to take energy to control others, you have less energy for what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. And for most of us, those have been the power models, which is which is you're in control of other people, or you know whether it's the CEO of a major organization, whether it's a brigadier general, whether it's a member of senate or whatever. You you're the person in control, and you have no life yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. So we're we're inching our way or you know blindly stumbling towards something better. We know we can't get rid of some of the other ways. For instance, if I'm going to ride a horse, I have to control that horse. Right. It's 1200 pounds. Yeah. I weigh about 125. Mm-hmm. So the horse needs to be very clear about the fact that I'm in charge. I don't want to hurt him. But if you really misbehave and run away with me or do something naughty, I'm going to give you a crack. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to do that again without punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that as wrong. I see that as survival. Yeah. And and a lot of people, they don't live in the real world anymore. They live in a world of papers and books and whatever's on the computer. So they don't have to work with horses. They don't have to work with cats and dogs. They don't even really have to work with other people that much. Yeah. They sit in cubicles and punch buttons. Yeah. And people, just as dogs, they need to know where they stand. Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't mean you necessarily have control over them, but they need to know where do I stand, what is expected of me, and do you know more than I do? Right. And if you do know more than I do, then I would like to learn it. Right. I think there's an element of respect, two-way respect in these relationships as well that is, you know, sort of understood that even even in the context of providing consequences for certain for certain behaviors that it's it's all done with respect and and in a way that's just appropriate and natural for the animal. I mean, one of the things for dogs that I always go back to when I hear somebody say you should never tell your dog no is like, well, dogs tell each other no. So why wouldn't, yes, they do. you know, why wouldn't they would sort of think that was weird if we didn't set limits ever, you know? Well, and if, and if they don't know where the boundaries are, they'll walk all over you. Yeah. And so will people. Yeah. You know, you have, I mean, and this is one of the problems with personal space for women. Men are always invading women's space. Even gay men, they don't even think about it. You know, they'll, they'll sit down on a bus and spread out. Yeah. That's rude. Yep. You know, they, whereas the, the woman will very often make herself smaller to make room for more people. Right. Um, but that invading of space is, 
again, the woman has not made her space clear. Yeah. I say give the guy an elbow in the ribs. He'll figure it out. <laughs> and, I, and people say, oh, you're terrible. You're this, you're that. Well, maybe I am, but everybody knows where they stand around me. Yeah. And right. nobody's going to push me over, including my horses, my houses. And I'm not a mean person, but these are my physical boundaries. Don't touch them. Why is that so hard? Yeah. You know, and then you, then you get all of these rape cases in college and stuff like this, because neither the men nor the women know where the boundaries are. Yeah. Everybody's confused. Um, you get a couple of drinks in them, and whatever self-control they had is out the window. Yeah. And the males are always demonized. And I, I don't really believe that. I don't believe every college-age man is an incipient rapist and wants to harm women. Yeah. Uh, I just think neither side really knows what's going on, and they don't even know their own bodies yet. Yeah. Oh, man, there's just so much there. I know, and, we, and we've, we've made politics out of this. Title IX has been used to hurt people. I was so happy when it was passed, and now I look at it like, oh, boy, this has become a weapon. Mm. But it's the same with a dog. If you let your dog jump up on you with muddy paws, the dog is going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. People are the same. Yep. No muddy paws. Well, space is, is a huge one for for animals, and we feel like we're just getting going, and we're going to have to wrap up here because we're getting to the end of the hour. This is often the case. Um, but, you know, talking about space is, is like uh, oh, being aware of, your uh an individual's own relate you know relationship with their own space and how you communicate that with your dog for example and just an expectation of space respect and you know no you don't do that to me and you you have you have to be the one to communicate that you you don't you know someone else isn't going to set that for you and dogs can be a great uh, reason for people to have to start to pay attention to that because then they have a dog who's jumping on guests or whatever and right. you know so they really are it's a animals are such a, a blessing and we have so much to learn from them and um, and it's just a, a wonderful conversation to be in and and we are you know kind of at the end of the show now I feel like I could talk with you for a few more hours but your new book is called Tall Tale it is on sale now Part of her Sneaky Pie mystery series, Rita Mae Brown has written over 50 publications and is an excellent author, and I highly recommend her books. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show and getting to meet you, quote-unquote, um, and, ch- and chat with you. I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, and if I can leave with one last thought, it's that the best friends come on four feet. Yes, <laughs> and you have a lot of them there on your farm. I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have uh, 10 new friends, chickens and goats, and we're loving them. And uh, thanks so much for your time today, Rita Mae Brown. Check out her new book, Tall Tale, and stay tuned for some messages from our partners. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. 
This summer, pack up the dog bowls and head to the lodges on Vashon. Just a 20-minute ferry ride from West Seattle, Vashon Island is the perfect quick getaway for you, your family, and your furry friend. The Lodges on Vashon has 16 freestanding contemporary lodges, two communal spaces, and plenty of outdoor space to enjoy with your pooch. Go to lodgesonvashon.com for more information, because sometimes your dog needs a vacation too. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.